You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. World Talk Radio. Welcome to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, the power of water and global warming. Have you heard about global warming? Do you have any concerns? Have you been confused about what global warming is and what it means to you and your generations to come to live here on this earth together? What would you like to learn more about each week, uh, the common sense for your health and, and living here, uh, and what you can do for your part? Can you take care of your health? And that would be your part. Warming, global warming for generations to come is serious. Let's take us through this together. Uh, what are the health issues for all of us? That could be your part to be healthier and grow together for a better ecosystem and show the example to others of how we live here to be healthy. Each week on the Power of Water uh, and the Sharon Klein Hour, you will be having new education, new thoughts, new reminders. Today, we have a very exciting guest, Chris Smith, who has been a flight attendant for 33 years. I felt like today the issues of what's happening with so many people flying in the air and traveling all over the world, let's get to know what we can do together uh, to help your flight healthier and arrive where you're going and uh, new tips, new ideas and suggestions from somebody who's been doing this for 33 years. Our second guest at the end of the show is going to be Jack Potter who's the uh, Division Chief of Science and Resources and, Ma- and Management for the Glacier National Forest in the state of Montana, where we're going to learn a lot about the water there and what it had the influences of that water with the rest of the world and the ecosystem. Give it, we're going to take a moment and hear from our sponsor, and we will be right back, and we'll be talking to Chris Smith. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Welcome to the Sharon Kleiner Hour. Today we have a very special guest, Chris Smith. Chris, are you with us? I am. Thank you. You're a very busy lady. You travel all over the world, and you've been a flight attendant for 33 years, and the world has been very much exposed to what's happening with the uh, airlines and and uh, the health of flying. We hear a lot about that during the year. Before we start, Chris, uh, and thank you for giving us your time, uh, tell us how why you chose to become a flight attendant from the very beginning. 
You know, I think it was about fifth grade. My dad took us to the Rose Bowl, which is the last time Oregon State went, but we won't go there. And I absolutely <laughs> loved it. We flew on two different airlines going down there, and I just said, this is what I want to do. Uh-huh. Set out to do it, and here I am. I was just listening to 33 years. I'm only 34, so I'm trying to figure out how that could happen. But <laughs> I'm feeling very old here at the moment. <laughs> Well, Chris, I am so sorry uh, to, (laughs) but before you became a flight attendant in school, didn't I hear somewhere that you were in some uh, pageants under the Miss America pageant rules? I did. I did um, the Miss Boatnik pageant, which was there in Grants Pass, where you are, and went on to Miss Oregon twice. I was a runner-up and then fizzled out the second year. I don't know what happened there. Maybe too many donuts. So uh, yeah, you're uh, under the Miss America pageant training, probably exposed you too to a lot of the uh, what you probably wanted more in life. That uh, because you do learn a lot with the pageants. Um, you when you, you went to flight so much, school, and it's such go? a great program. I hate to it see is. you know all the problems they're having because the scholarship opportunities are fantastic. It, it, you're, that is right. I've always admired it. In fact, years and years ago, I personally trained uh, those hostesses and the. And the um, pageants um, individuals. Uh, I wanted to mention to ask you today, where did you go to flight school? Um, I went, I was, at first I started with Braniff, way in the this dark ages, Braniff? and then left okay. because I was just too far away from home and went back to Hughes Air West so I could stay on the West Coast, which kind of fizzled mm-hmm. too. But each airline has their own training facility after you're hired. They have airline schools that you can go to, and they try to get you interviews. But once you are accepted by an airline, they do their own training. How long does it take you to go to school to become a flight attendant? Um, at Braniff, I was there eight weeks, and at Hughes, it was about six and a half. There's a lot of intense, intense safety, service training, um, first aid you know, a lot, a lot of testing, and you fail one or two, and you're on your way home. So it's very intense within that time frame. Well, the reason uh, I wanted our listeners also to hear the amount of years you've participated, been a, a flight attendant. Mm-hmm. The flight attendant is our host hostess in the sky, highly trained listeners. They're trained with emergency skills that you have no idea uh, of. I mean, these people in the sky are there to accommodate you but to take care of you. The seriousness of the, their position, if you think that they're not always smiling and being the hello, sweetie, you must understand, listener, they're responsible and they care about your welfare. And I think it's been highly misunderstood and not appreciated. Thanks. And that was one of the reasons, Chris, I wanted to have you. Uh, I think it's time that people started realizing that the person on board the plane, the pilot and the attendants are there to give you safety, concerns of welfare, make you happy, all right, but don't worry always, uh, listener, if there's not always the hello, Dolly, sweetie stuff, because they have a lot on their minds today. Chris, Let's start out with um, you've you're been a flight attendant now, and tell the listeners how long. Um, about thirty three years. Okay, so and a you're year off in between has... Braniff and Hughes, and then I've been mm-hmm. you know merger merger acquisition right on through okay. since nineteen seventy six. Let's start out today with the education uh, here about 
Let's, when you're when you're trained to take care of yourself when you fly, what do you do uh, a few days knowing you're flying a, a week at a time? Now, uh, uh, what do you, how long do you, you know, fly at a time? Everybody's schedule differs, Sharon. Sometimes people sit at home and wait for the phone to ring. When you're new, you are unreserved, we call it. And when someone calls in sick, they call you at the last minute, and then you work your way up through the schedules, usually through domestic flying, which is a lot of ups and downs if you're flying, you know, north-south. Or, you know, you work your way towards the longer flights and then on towards international. So each person, even though you may be going up and down, maybe five landings a day versus one if you go international, it's still the same airplane air and the Mm -hmm. same things you're exposed to. So you really want to, you know, hydrate yourself, take care of yourself, take your vitamins, be in the best, you know, physical and mental shape that you can be in before you start the trip because it's going to be hard once you get there. Excuse me for interrupting once in a while Mm -hmm. because I want to bring our listeners to understanding what you're saying as you go and remind them of what you said. Absolutely. Now, are you trained in your schooling and, and, and their training how to take care of your health? Are the flight attendants taught that? You know, it's been a while <laughs> since I went but to you have training. been. But working okay, so you're, you're learning rewiring. a lot of your own secrets, too. For, Correct. We've because started because, uh, One thing about it, listeners, and for you too, Chris, is uh, the moment you were born and you left that womb of water and you entered in the air you breathe, no two people dehydrate the same, loss of moisture the same, right. uh, no two fingerprints alike, no two eyes alike. Uh, that's each individual's dehydration. So I would bet the tricks that you're all learning, Chris, are individual. I would know that. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, let's say before, let's say I would say, with my research and background uh, and dehydration studies, it's about two days before you know you're going to fly and you started flying longer uh, flights. Correct. What do you do for yourself as a little tips uh, to get ready to be on board? I try to drink a lot of water, of course. Mm-hmm. I try to get good sleep. Try okay. to reduce the stress at home, like pack a day ahead of time because uh-huh. always things are going to come up at the last minute that you're going to want to take care of. Um, Can I, I mention animal. something there, Chris? You Pardon? said reduce stress. What a key, what a secret. Stress causes more dehydration anxiety than anything else you can do. Well, and so we're under a tremendous, good one, Chris. Well, we're under a tremendous amount of stress, especially since 9-11, because you hit it a minute ago, we're there for the safety of the passengers and the crew. And everything else is kind of a bonus, the meals, the drinks, the pretzels, whatever, that's all on the side of why we're there. Um, Northwest, who I fly for, was the first ones to start water walks to stop the deep vein thrombosis injuries that they were having on long flights, especially the um, Australian carriers where you're in the air for so very long. Um, We were also the first ones trained on defibrillators, and every plane was equipped with one before any other airline. So there's a lot of things going on. it's very seldom that we make a crossing, I fly Europe, without having to page for a doctor. Um, people wow. are stressed when they get on the plane. They go through airport security. Um, they take their water. They take their perfume. The rules change by the day. They're stressed out by the time they get to us. A lot of them come off of cruise ships, and they're running, and they're dehydrated. And when they get to us, they collapse. Now, so, let's back up for the listener to hear this. You said... Um, what is happening is the anxiety, uh, and remember, not everybody listener has it, but there are those who have a, 
are do have an anxiety, and that is to be uh, respected. No two people are alike, Absolutely. and the anxiety and the stress load is different with each every person. Please respect that. Uh, and concern yourself with others when you're walking by somebody. What do they need of you as a listener if you're flying, too? Um, but, Chris, now you did say something. Um, uh, so this is important today for people's life and welfare to fly. Uh, so if, before they get on the plane, they need to understand, first of all, try to hydrate for a couple of days beforehand. Correct. Uh, be sure to pack and not have an anxiety to rush. And, Chris, what is the recommended time that you have found that people should get to the airport ahead of time? You know, the smaller airports are a little different. If you're starting in a smaller airport, I would be there at least an hour and a half. Your bigger airports, two to three hours Mm -hmm. is not unreasonable. No, because I have been, and I'm sure many of the listeners have been, I'll get there an hour and a half, and there's a line for whatever reason, something's going on that we have no idea. Uh, but so an hour and a half to the smaller ones and to the larger airports like uh, JFK or L.A. or uh, Chicago, wherever, uh, um, Boston, that would be a good two hours. Absolutely. And la- two weeks ago, London started a new procedure. As you know, the liquid threat came out of London, U.K., and they started a new deal where they were taking everyone's liquids, no matter how small your travel shampoo was or anything. They took all of it. Now you can have the little plastic bag with the 3.4, not 3.5, 3.4 ounces, and now they're doing a litmus test, a random litmus test. So when I was there a week ago, the line was a two and a half to three and a half hour delay to get through to get through the security line at Gatwick. That's so in London. Changes by the day, and wouldn't you rather get there and go have time to get your bottle of water or whatever you're going to take with you and relax and walk on the plane as running on and sweating profusely and thinking you're having a heart attack? Yeah. Now, let's teach our listeners something there. So if you're going to go to a smaller airport, you're going to go an hour and a half before, in a larger airport, at least two hours. Absolutely. Not knowing what's going on with the lines, with whatever convention, whatever is happening. You bet. When you travel, the you've just said, carry a little baggie with uh, your all of your, it has to be, cannot be over 3.4 ounces inside the bag of all of the containers you want to put inside the bag, right? Well, that, each one can be like three ounces. Like you have a little shampoo and a little conditioner, you know, and a little perfume. You don't need the big one. Take the little travel ones and... Um, or and, and if, unless you're putting time. it in your luggage. If you're putting that in your luggage, that's different. Absolutely. Anything you And, and if that's being uh, checked in at the luggage going on the luggage of the plane, but when you carry on, uh, listener, you know the rules, and please don't try to forget them. I think it's very important to get the lines to go quicker and you to be, no, you're not going to throw away your precious choice of shampoo, your clones, and your and your cosmetics. I've seen very uh, so expensive You just mentioned something away. else. <laughs> Chris? Yes. Yeah, you just mentioned something else. When they go through the line, you said something about get their water. Explain what you meant by that. You okay. can't take the water through, so you got you can buy it after. Correct. I think 
in the last couple of days, everyone's seen the woman with the sippy cup trying to go through, and the big problem, because baby food is usually exempt. However, she had water in a sippy cup for her child, and all she had to do was drink it and then refill it on the other side of security. Once you pass security, you can now purchase water, liquids, whatever, to bring on the plane with you. At one time, they had pulled all of that, and like I say, it changes by the day. But you go buy your, you know, however much you're going to pay. It's an airport with the $10 hot dogs. We all know how that goes. But take your water with you. Airlines are so understaffed right now, and the employees are not paid on that airplane until that plane pushes back. So in the summertime, you have an airline trying to save money, so they turn that power unit off that runs the air conditioner. You get on the plane and you're sweating, and sweat is the body's way to protect itself from dehydration, but you have to have a breeze to work that sweat to cool the body core. So without any air and you're sweating, now you're dehydrated and you're hot. You have to take responsibility for yourself and take your own water on. It's like a diabetic. You can't always depend on that diabetic meal being there. You pack your carrots or whatever. But with water also, you can't depend on the airline to have 300 bottles of water for the 300 passengers. It wouldn't get off the ground. Yeah, so, I, I agree. And a lot of passengers might, even if they had a little water choice, uh, a little tiny bottle, you'll want more than that because of the dehydration effects of the, uh, what's going on in absolutely. the air on the plane. The longer the uh, we'll flight, be, the We'll be back in a moment uh, and answer some of that. But we have um, Charlotte on the line who would like to ask you a question. Charlotte, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am. Good morning. Charlotte, would you like to ask Chris uh, Smith a question? Yes. Hi. Good morning, Chris. Hi, Charlotte. Hi. Um, you know, the air is so dry on the flight. Uh, what do you do to keep your eyes in skin uh, from getting uh, hydration or keeping it high, your skin hydrated? You know, I, we all carry eye drops, of course, which uh. is okay. But I have my nature's tears with me. And I have, fr- I have had LASIK surgery twice, which I never had real dry eyes before that, and now I do. So you add that to the dry air on the plane, and your eyes feel like cactus or sandpaper. And I use my nature's tears um, relentlessly. I set it on the counter, and I let my crew use it whenever they want. And the good part is that your face gets that mist, too, and it feels so good. It is just like taking a shower in the middle of the flight. I would pack my nature's tears. I would pack my water bottle. And that's the best two things that I could tell you to do. And, of course, you have to put the nature's tears. I'm missing a a little plastic baggie. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, because I have to do that too, Chris. Uh, Charlotte, do you have another question? Because we're going to have a break in a moment. I have a, a, a question about circulation, mm-hmm. and I know you, the flight crews are walking back and forth uh, in the cabin, but what would you advise a, a passenger to do? I know it's hard to have them all get up and walk around, but, you know, circulation is a concern of mine. Absolutely. And Northwest started the, we call them water walks. We try to come through the cabin at least every 30 minutes with water. Water is the number one thing to stop the deep vein thrombosis. But you can do the exercises while you sit. You can rotate your feet. You can move your feet back and forth. You can rotate your wrists and reach up above your head. Um, We have a, a chair aerobics video that we show at the beginning of the flight 
for people to see what they can do for themselves. And once again, it's a personal responsibility thing. But you do need to get up and walk around as soon as that seatbelt sign you know, is turned off. You have the right to move around. Go visit the ladies' room. Um, just circulate the best you can. But like I say, you can do that while you're sitting in your seat all And use some common sense with that. That sounds to me very uh, uh, logical, too. But, again, these are great reminders on the show today with you, Chris. Well, thank uh, you. We're going to have to take a moment, Chris. If you'll wait for us, Absolutely. we'll be right back. I'm real, we're really enjoying this. We're going to take a moment with our sponsor, and sure. we'll be right back. Great. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to the Sharon Kleiner Hour of the Power of Water and the Global Warming. But today we're also doing having a special show with Chris Smith, who I have known for many, many years. Um, are you familiar with, uh, there's a new uh, quality going on with the circulation, but uh, what is the air quality on board playing uh, the humidity? You know, sure, different planes have different degrees of humidity mixed in with the air. I have yet to find one that is not dry. However, um, this, the new generation Boeings, the 787s that are coming out, are supposed to have the best mixture of moisture to air that we've ever seen, and I am so excited for that. Mm-hmm. I hope that um, they live up to their talk, so to speak, because mm-hmm. the air is so dry. Um, you just yeah. feel like a cactus. You get to the hotel and you cannot wait to get into the water and just soak it back up like a sponge. Now, you just said something I would like to bring up with my field and my research, Chris. Uh, something I would suggest to the flight attendants, if it could be taught, and to our passengers is always take a bath at least a day or two days before you fly. And the reason I tell everybody to start thinking about another hydration uh, for bathing, when you take a shower, you're rinsing your body, but when you take a bath uh, twice a week or more, you open the pores, it becomes the sieve that it was meant to be, and sieve out the toxin, release that toxin before you fly. So that when you get on board with that humidity, whether and it is dry, uh, there's forced air heating and cooling. There, it's an insulated plane. It's got some of it's got fabric upholstery, and some of it does have other types of uh, of leather or plastic upholstery. But remember, when skin is dry, skin is shedding, and it attaches to the walls and to the plane. That skin shedding, when your pores are dry, your pores will absorb that skin shedding with bacteria. 
And we've heard re- reports when uh, we've heard before about uh, a tuberculosis scare. If there's one person on the plane because of the dry conditions or a virus, a flu, a common cold, or whatever, there could be an exposure to that, and you never know who that will be. Uh, so try to take a bath. Another thing, Chris, um, that is so important is Epsom salts is a great addition to your bath uh, because your pores will open and pull out. Salt will pull. You don't want to use saline solution in there because that leaves a crust and does the opposite. But you want to pull. So I wanted to ask you, when you've arrived in foreign countries knowing that the water is there, because we have so many countries of the world, Chris, the water is so bad, you don't dare drink their water. Uh, what do you suggest, what do you do when you travel for the water? Well, you'll see flight attendants going through the airport with their water bottles, and okay. it's becoming more and more obvious that you need your own water. First thing we do if we don't have some with us um, is to go to the store or a local corner tobacco shop or whatever and buy a bottle of water to have in the room to brush your teeth, to um, have sips of before you go out, just to stay hydrated. And You mentioned to- even brush your teeth. That was, that was important because a lot of times people will forget that, that it's not just consuming it to drink, but it's also any time you touch that water in your mouth, which could cause a uh, bacteria. Absolutely. Yeah. And another thing on the plane, um, people don't realize that your eyes are sometimes the first um, line of getting a disease, and especially an infectious disease. So you want to keep your eyes as moist and as healthy as you can on the plane. Um, that's why when people sneeze, you need to close your eyes and turn your head, and hopefully they'll Very sneeze in their elbow hmm. instead of their hands where they're going to have That's being them. courteous. Yep, but you'll see that's flight attendants now wearing gloves to pick up glasses. Um, okay. We have so many people flying that are ill. Maybe they're going home, you know, for their last time or going to visit for the last time. And that is so true, and then they arrive sick or go home after a wonderful time and a trip and sick when they get home. Uh, you mentioned something. I appreciate what you did there. Um, you mentioned about the eyes are the most subjected uh, and also show the first symptom. What that is, Chris, is when they brought me in to study the eyes years and years ago about the disease called uh, the dry eye problems, mm-hmm. uh, that eye drops are causing it to go drier because of the chemistry of the eye drops dr- flooding the tear film, that clear film you don't see. Right. Um, that natural moisture absorbed to the eye, such as Nature's Ears Eye Mist, gives you that little buffer, gives you that little dam to protect you from the bacteria floating in the air. But what it is, Chris, and for the listeners to know, what I learned is when your eyelid opened the day you were born, that eye organ, when the eyelid is open and the skin isn't over your eye, that's the only organ that the skin isn't protecting at that moment. Correct. You only have one thing called a clear tear film uh, to cover that that you don't see, and that gives you that moisture buffer, but if that's dry and the eye drop is applied, that dries it further. So nature's tears eye mist does absorb all beneficial of a natural moisture, and but when your eyelid closes, then you're backing that up. Right. So I if have you blink a, a lot, that, um, you have more the... benefit. It's like it's sitting at a computer all day. Right. If you're not blinking very much, you're getting a very dry eye. You're probably getting a virus and, and, and allergies. 
Chris, have you noticed that a lot of the flight attendants have, are prone to allergies? The allergies and absolute chronic sinus infections. Okay, it's that's getting the worse symptom right worse there, as dry eye. Yep. Naturally dry eye. Yep. And now, I have a friend that um, has been through everything for dry eye, and the only thing that's worked for him has actually been nature's tears. I gave him another can the other day. He said, I'm sorry, my... My sister's going through chemo for the third time, and it's the only thing that works on her eyes. Yeah, and again, here soon with the computer eye irritations that are happening with disabilities. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's the natural moisture we need to replace. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, before we are done here, is there any tips that you would like to add to the listeners for them to know about when they've traveled and, and what, in different countries of the world to be concerned about with uh, with water and and what is happening, so they would have some new little tips sure, about would, where they're going. I would suggest, number one, Sharon, that they do their background. Be responsible for yourself. Get on the Internet and read about the country. Check if there's any kind of health um, violations that have been issued. It's all on the travel sites the government provides. But also, um, just a personal thing, I know that, if we run out of bottled water on the plane, people have read all these horror stories about water on airplanes like snakes on planes. But I've been using it for 33 years as a backup if there's no more bottled water to stay hydrated. I think it's more important to stay hydrated than worry about the water. And it hasn't, I don't know one person that's become ill from airplane water. So if the bottled water supply has been depleted, don't be afraid to drink the water. It's better for you than a carbonated beverage with the sodium. It's better for you than alcohol because those are going to dehydrate you even worse than you are already. It makes well, it's Chris, really you are, you're going to have to hear this, listeners. Chris, I do know of one person who got deathly ill because of airline water. Well, I got to be remember that's my field and that's my research. But right. again, um, uh, what you're trying to do is tell them how serious it is that if you need hydration, please take it, buy it at the terminal, and you take can. your own bottle on for your own hydration. Uh, and so you won't run out. You bet. But I do need to say to the listeners, I do know of somebody who what happened is I guess that person had a uh, cup of hot water that they chose to have for tea. And the person, when the tea when it came, and then all, the next, when the person got off the plane, uh, they had forgotten uh, that they had drank, obviously, that plane's hot water the, uh, from the tap, not because they didn't drink it from the bottle. And within, uh, it wasn't even uh, the next morning, the person was in sweating and had the worst sweating and uh, serious, uh, obviously they had gotten the bacteria and had to just sift that out through the skin. And by the way, your skin is your sister. You sift more bacteria and toxin every day out of your skin than you do flush the toilet. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was obviously working, but I'd heard cases, Chris, but that's why I would recommend to you and the passenger, and anybody flying, when you get through that security, go buy your first bottle of water and put it with you and carry it with you and make that your backup. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. and that's because you don't know which pipe. It's Chris, what's happening in the United States and all over the world, it's the pipes. Um, uh, the pipes are old and the pipes are not cleaned out like they should be. It's like your drinking water fountain. There was a young man, Chris, here in Oregon who was 13 years old and and he, uh, this was on a social press, but 
he said he swore that the drinking water fountain in the school was worse water than the toilet water in the toilet at the school. So they, they, he went about a test and come to find out, uh, this was written in the newspaper by Associated Press, I believe it was, but it was a nationwide newspaper thing that the drinking water fountain had more bacteria than the toilet water at the school. It's because of the pipes. Right. And, uh, yeah, we're learning, Chris. Uh, Chris, did you know that we have 6,000 children die every year, all over, uh, every day all over the world because of bad water? 6,000 so a day. I uh, will tell you one thing. Uh, we're I'm finding that Karen, uh, in the last year, um, it's been fun because most of the time the kids, first they always wanted soda, and then mom and dad wanted them to have juice, and now kids are asking for water without being prompted when we're doing exactly. the beverage service. So exactly, and three percent of the world's water is a, a, a fresh water, but only one percent is usable. And different countries of the world, like China, India, and different countries of the world, don't have good water, good sanitation. And well, let's help each other. Let's learn these tips. And Chris, I really appreciate it. This is exciting to have you here today. I, would you come back and do this again? Absolutely. I want to tell you one real quick story. Flight attendants grab their makeup bag and they run in the bathroom. They're in there five or ten minutes. I grab my nature's tears and I go in. I'm out in like 30 seconds because it pops on my makeup bag. And they go, how would you do that? I go, magic. Yeah, nature's tears, eye mist listeners, our sponsor. Uh, when you're misting the eyes for natural absorb- or absorption, excuse me, through the natural method absorbing to the eye, it absorbs around the eye, the skin of the eye, the eyelids, and around the eye. It will never run the makeup ever. And uh, But again, and it softens the clothes feet besides putting nutrition back into the eyes to give you that protection of, from the bacteria in the air. Chris, you have a wonderful day. You too. And thank, thank you, you. And I hope to talk to you thank real you. soon. We'll do this again. And thank you. Bye-bye. Anytime. Bye, Sharon. Isn't that exciting? We're learning more about Homeland Security and what's happening at the security gates. And Chris had a lot of great information for all of you. Um, I want to take a break for a moment and listen to our sponsor. And our next guest is going to be a parks director from the state of Montana. We'll take a break. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to the Sharon Kana Hour, The Power of Water and Global Warming. Today, I'm really excited to have Jack Potter, who's the Division Chief of Sun- and with the Natural Resources 
of the Glacier Natural Park in the state of Montana, and I hope I did that well, Jack. Are you there with us, Jack? Karen, thank you for your invitation. That well, was you people and your job are the most special people that I want to bring uh, acknowledgement to. This is an international show, and the United States does everything they can with people like yourself who chose to be in a profession to take care of uh, the natural resources for all the world to come and see and be part of this ecosystem. Yes, Sharon, in fact, it's a special time for us, too. This is the 75th anniversary of our uh, being designated as an international peace park, the first in the world. We're also Ah. a world heritage site and a biosphere reserve, so I don't believe there's any national park in the world that has those three designations. So you're adding your 75th year to celebrate there. Yes, this is the 75th year of being designated a peace park. Now, what does that mean? Explain that. That means that we have a sister park right over the border in Alberta, Waterton Lakes National Park, and in 1932, actually under the direction of the Rotary International, both uh, Congress and the Parliament in Canada agreed to designate it as an international peace park, the first in the world. You just said international peace park. Park. Right, to commemorate peace between the United States and Canada, but also oh. to serve as an example to other other nations, and we've certainly had a lot of visitors and people interested oh. in that designation. Exciting. When you said peace, I was trying to follow you, and yeah. I'm sure the listener was too. Yeah. A peace Park, how yeah. exciting. And that was done in the 1930s? 1932 Glacier itself was established in 1910, but the two countries uh, designated it as a peace park in 1932, and this is our 75th anniversary being combined as a peace park. Oh, before we go on, because I'm going to ask you some personal questions about why you chose to be what you're doing, but... Before we go on, Canada is so beautiful, and they've done it. They seem to be doing a very good job. Am I wrong at protecting their forests and their water? And they have. Tell us a little bit about Canada, if you have some knowledge. Okay. Well, I I just spent a a visit up there last week, but yes, there's a lot of things in common between the United States and Canada. But Canada is also extremely proud of the natural resources and natural beauty of their country. And they, in all of, the, of their provinces, their provinces are a little have a little different relation to the federal government than the states do. But they've established certain thresholds or criteria for amount of protected areas to establish. And and of course, we border on British Columbia and Alberta, so we we see some of that good work. But they also share a lot of the same issues that we do as far as uh, pressures for development and pressures for uh, economic growth. So it's uh, mm-hmm. we share a lot of things in common. Uh huh. Well, it is beautiful, both, uh, and I'm so proud of the United States and what they're doing with the relationship with that. That's exciting because it went that far back. Right. Our forefathers, I think the listeners need to understand what our forefathers' planning, long-term planning meant uh, to all of us. Um, Jack, why did you choose to be, when you went to school, did you just go to school to become uh, part of the National Park, uh, thinking you were going to be part of the National Park uh, division, or did you go to school for, to start with for some other reason? Well, I actually began going to school for another reason, and uh-huh. I was thinking of going into the law, but I had worked <laughs> here seasonally, and uh-huh. I was fortunate to be able to get on permanently, and this is my 38th year working here. So oh, I, uh, so you were one of those summer workers that decided you fell, uh, like, you fell, I started to say, fell in love with it, but <laughs> and, and liked it so much you want, didn't want to leave. No, and I was also fortunate enough to be able to uh, get on permanently with the Park Service here and also to be able to spend my career here. That's not typical. Many people move around 
But uh, uh-huh. no, I've been very fortunate, and of course. Now, how long have you been where you're at? Well, this is 38 years. 38 years? I get somebody with 38 years being in the same spot in a national forest. National park. <laughs> national park. I meant, yeah. <laughs> yes. I'll be darned. Yes. That is exciting. Okay. Uh, so you were one who was so attractive. Now, obviously, you're part of the science side and uh, more. Um, tell us about the glaciers because this is something a lot of our listeners don't understand, a glacier. Well, the, the glaciers have been in the news a lot in, in relation to the, the fact that they're shrinking rapidly due to uh, changes in, global, in climate, and, of course, that's part of the global climate change issue. The, the park was named, actually, for the glacial features, not, not necessarily the glaciers, because the, the larger, the glacial age, the Wisconsin, the largest the, during the ice ages, left about 10,000 years ago. The glaciers that we have now are remnants from the Little Ice Age, which started uh, in the 1400s. But they are shrinking, and, and the projections are, if the warming trend continues, that by, oh, 20 or 30 years from now, there won't be any glaciers left in the park. A glacier gets its name, or at least becomes officially a glacier, when there's a certain volume of ice. It has to be a certain thickness before it changes, uh, it, the, it transforms the ice at the bottom or the packed snow into, into actual glacial ice. And, be, and actually begins moving. Uh, some of them are very small, but they all have to have a certain volume of, of ice before they're, they're called a glacier. Now, uh, for our listeners to understand, because it is very confusing, because global warming is becoming a buzz. Yes. Uh, I would like the reason I'm calling this track the power of water and global warming uh, show because I want people to be highly, uh, very much educated to make choices of what they want to learn more about. You told us that the the glacier started melting. Uh, how long ago? Well, the the end of the Little Ice Age was about 1850, and there has been a gradual decrease. What has been the most marked change here, particularly in this last 10 to 15 years, is how rapidly and how, how warm the temperatures have been and, and the subsequent rapid melting. What has also happened is that in many of the gauges that we have, that we're getting more rain than snow now. And so snow, of course, is, is needed to replenish the glaciers, and now we're getting it in a different form. So that not only changes... The, the form of, of what kind of uh, uh, snow and ice lingers through the course of the year, but also changes the temperature, the quantities, and the timing of the water release that we get for downstream. You just had a key description there and explain it, if you would, uh, the, the, the snow or what uh, water that lingers. What does the word linger mean? Well, it, how long does it stay to be healthy for this earth to, uh, to, to thrive? Well, there have been, of course, changes in the major ice ages that occurred. We had large ice sheets covering much of North America. But at least for us in this park, or, or important for North America, is that the glaciers or larger snow fields that would last through the summer would store water for a longer period of time. And so you would get a more consistent flow in, your, in rivers and streams. And that, that was important for survival of fish and for irrigation, etc., what happens now is if it, much of it comes in the form of rain, it doesn't hold it as long, and these storehouses oh, of water are, are released sooner. So both the temperature oh. changes and, and, for example, we, we keep getting record lows in many of our streams 
and that has a big effect on native fisheries. It has a fi- effect on uh, the types of uh, aquatic insects that which survive only in certain temperatures. So there's a lot of implications on a, on that type of a scale for when the snow fields, the ice fields, and the glaciers uh, do not linger uh, through the course or later into the summer because they don't have enough snow there. Now, is there any place on this earth that we're all living that is not getting this effect, uh, is not being affected by what you just said? Well, certainly the, the, there's different effects at the tropics or, or other more temperate areas, you know, the, that's yeah. different types of things. But I know that both the polar ice caps and and these northern hemispheres, and in, in fact it's projected that the country, that uh, the higher you are in the uh, latitudes, the more pronounced is the effect. And, of course, you've all been reading about the impacts to the uh, whales and polar bears and, and different ice fields that are found farther north. Because you've been at this for so long, um, and I don't want to get you in a, if you can't answer something, just tell me, and the listener can go and study that. But would is, would this be happening with or without us on this earth? Is this a cycle that Earth has to go through on its own? Well, I think the thing that that, that has, for example, the recent uh, petition that was signed by the 450 so scientists said that certainly these fluctuations of climate would would occur and. and species have adapted what what hasn't occurred is is so fast a warming in our uh, particular frame of reference and and I guess that's the most alarming also in that we've got so many people living in coastal areas and and uh, uh, fluctuations in the climate could mean a, a a very great disruption to a lot of people so I guess the it's the rapid changing that appears to be uh, assisted by the amount of greenhouse gases that has been certainly noted by a lot of scientists. Mm-hmm. There was uh, something last night, uh, and maybe you can help me because that's your field, that there was uh, some of these mountains where the snow was melting and not even coming back um, in some areas of the world. Uh, and then there was another report saying this would have happened no matter what, and they're not next to a populace uh, at all. Uh, what did they mean by that? The snow has melted, not coming back, but they're not next to a big metropolitan city. Is well, that just because... I want to make sure you, re- you understand that I'm not a global climate change expert. I know, I know. I, I, think what I, w- I think that would be under the misconception that global climate change is is something that's done or it's affected by nearby cities, which, which in fact, the whole greenhouse gas effect is 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 throughout the the whole uh, atmosphere of the earth so it okay. doesn't necessarily mean that just because you're close to a city for example means that w- the the effects of global climate change would be more or less pronounced thank you that's what i was hoping yeah. wanting to hear yeah. because our education uh is so confused yes um and you know i'm going to ask you something because my field is research in the health of the human species and the dehydration when you walk out into your national parks what are you seeing that is not healthy in the species there? Is there something that you have, besides our water, is there something else that uh, you could educate about our listeners about? Probably the two greatest concerns that I see are, are the changes or the introduction or the more rapid spread of exotic species, for example, certain weeds and, and possibly certain organisms that cause a disease. I guess that's the, some are already here, some are coming, but I think that the, the, also, the drought and the stress that it has put on tree species has a couple of other effects in that, for example, uh, the, 
insect pests or or even exotic pests that were already out there uh, or the trees become more susceptible to them. The second part of that is is that we've also seen a, a much higher incidence of, of these more radical forest fires that may be caused by the types of climate or, or the sense that we are getting more wind and higher temperatures. So the big changes on the landscape here are we've had, for example, a major outbreak of what's called blister rust, which has been here, but as the now let's back up for a second. What does that mean? That's a that's a fungus that came from Europe, but but it it has been more pronounced or more uh, apt to prey on trees that are a little more stressed. And so what okay. we're seeing is those trees so are dying. So stress means it's not getting enough moisture in the, around right. it. Right. The drought stress has has. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Native species. There are there are always been native insects, for example, but uh, we're seeing outbreaks of of many more species at a time, and so you see a lot more trees dying. And then also, what we've seen here in the park is is a very higher incidence of forest fires and much more radical types of burning than we've seen, and a lot of that could be contributed to higher winds and higher temperatures. So on the landscape, um, aside from the effects on our water storage quantity and, and that type of thing, I would say that that's the biggest concern for us or, or what sort of exotics are are here and that may expand or, or that are coming. And then the second is this change in the, in the fire regimes that's caused by hotter and drier and, and more uh, winds. Yeah, you might uh, take advantage of this show and give our uh, listeners a tip about when they're traveling and so, uh, their campfires or if they're smoking and cigarettes and more. What, you might give them some hints here. Well, well generally, the... Uh the area that you're visiting has all the localized requirements that that are particular to uh, th- that area. For example, they'll they'll put out campfire advisories. For example, in uh, areas whenever they're, they're, they have fuel indices, they call them. Whenever there's a combination of dry fuels and hot weather, I, I think the thing to do is to be aware of it by listening to or talking to the, the visitor centers or or when you visit an area. Certainly, if you're going to have any type of open fires or campfires, just be of the fact that as as the summer progresses into July and August, almost all these areas go through periods of drying, and it's good to be be aware of what the local management agencies are telling people regard to what level or what level of risk there is. And then, if they, I suppose uh, if they were going to have a go camping, which is the most healthy, beautiful, na- natural uh, benefit in Earth, is to take your family or yourself and go camping out into the woods and smell that delicious forest and air uh, is maybe take some buckets so they could fill the buckets with water and keep them around just in case. Well, there, there are certainly, there's a period of time. Yes, that's a good idea, Sharon, but there's a period of time whenever it reaches a certain risk level that they They're ask not supposed be, to have any fire. Yes, they ask you to bring yeah. shovel, axe, and bucket. That's a, one of okay. the things. If you're traveling into more remote areas, if you're camping in a designated mm-hmm. campground uh, or, or one of the, the places that uh, have confined fire pits, it's not uh, not necessary. Okay. But if you're going into more isolated... you don't need a fire. Yeah. Right, right. When they get there, are there places in the different forests that they do any cooking, or they just take they cannot cook at all? We, it, it really varies 
for where you camp and what sort of regulations are in place. For example, in, in Glacier, we have many uh, designated campsites, and, of course, all around us there are camp KOAs and different types of camping experiences. When mm-hmm. you get out into the backcountry, we, we actually have separated places where you cook from where you sleep because of uh, concerns relating to bears. We don't want those odors mm-hmm. near your camp. So we mm-hmm. actually have provided the types of locations for it. But uh, generally, there's... Uh, 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 we have we have uh, lots of information for the different types of camping experiences. That now, for them to come to a camping experience where you're at, where would they find you? Where where is that at? So well, the internet's can, certainly a wonderful it, place okay. to look, and and uh, okay. the the, uh, the National Park Service has some good sites. Glacier has a specific site. Um, the local national forests, the various uh, agencies that are, are are tourist groups have them. Uh, there's a a wealth of information on the internet right now that's almost Wonderful. so it's a great source to prepare you for for what the types of experience and you can pick and choose what you would like if you'd like a more uh, if you'd like a hookup where there's a place to plug your RV and that's one thing or if you'd like a more primitive mm-hmm. it tells you about that or if you want to go backpacking it tells you about that well, Jack, I, this time went so fast. I could have oh. done. I hope I can do this with you again because the information was well, exciting. And this is the Glacier National Park, uh, and you're located in Montana, where I'm talking to you from today. That's correct, Northwest Montana. Well, Jack, thank you. Tell everyone thank you where you're at, and don't anybody listeners take what Jack is doing and our national park system in the United States or Canada for granted. Thank Jack, you very you much. Jack, you have Sharon. a nice day, and thank you again. Thank you, Sharon. Bye. Well, today I think we've learned a lot, uh, that water is vital uh, to your life. You've learned about moisture and life in the forest and how vital it is for our forest to live and the species to thrive on this earth. And the absolute usefulness for life uh, is the convenience of your water. And don't take it for granted. I hope you're drinking your 8 to 12 glasses of water. If you're in distress, go have another glass of water. Uh, understanding your pipe system also. Uh, did you know, I mentioned it earlier, that 6,000 children a day die because of unsafe water. So be, use your uh, common sense, too, and take care of yourself and your health, because if you take care of yourself, your health, and kind of learn to release your own stress, drinking more water, better nutrition, that maybe for generations to come you'll be that ecosystem um, example because you can go out and you can recycle, you can think about all the things you need to do to take care of your earth, but what about you? Time Magazine said you are the person of the earth. You are the person of the year. Please take care of you, and if you take care of you, you will make sure you're taking care of somebody else and pay it forward. I believe that Earth's secret is to embrace your life every precious moment. I know that Earth is whispering, never say goodbye. Have a nice day.